Thank you for downloading this podcast and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, the podcast to help the channel better understand the trends, technologies and concepts that are facing the IT industry today. I'm your host, David Fern, and we hope you enjoy this Arrow production. And please subscribe. Thanks. Hi and welcome to another Arrow Bandwidth. And uh, this time we've decided to go and focus on a specific topic. Because we haven't done that for a while, have we, Rich? No, we haven't had a special for a while, have no. we? No. And we're very, very honoured today to have a special guest with us. We are indeed. We have, well, I'll let him introduce himself. Thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Steve Horobin. I'm one of the technical account managers working in Arrow and working in the storage team. Yay. Fantastic. So there you go. So essentially what we're going to try and do today is a bit of a storage state of the nation. And uh, yes. as I'm no storage expert... And, and neither am I. We decided we'd get one in. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Absolutely. So, um, so essentially we were going to cover off sort of a lot of different topics, which we'll actually take you through in a minute, and, mm. uh, and hopefully give you a bit of an idea of some of the burning questions that you might have around storage, around different types of storage, software-defined storage, physical storage, flash storage, tape storage, God, yeah. lifecycle management. I'm pretty sure we're going to cover it all off. So sit back and enjoy half an hour of everything you need to know about the current state of storage. Oh, I should have gone with that as a title. There you go. Well, there you go. So, Steve, I'm, thanks for coming on, first and foremost. That's and, okay. But as David said, ni- neither of us would certainly consider ourselves as, as experts, so, so hence, hence why you're here. Um, there is an absolute plethora of technologies that, you know, currently out there that, you know, lots and lots and lots of different vendors are, are pushing and promoting. And there are, you know, technologies that we thought we see in the back of that still remain and, and have a relevance today. So, you know, you look from, from tape to disk to flash. I Just a real high-level question to begin with. You know, what do you... Do you see that, you know, with the rate of innovation, with the rate of new technologies, do you see sort of new offerings supplanting old? Do you see that people will, will stick what, with, with what they know? Or do you feel that from a storage perspective, we'll start, or we'll start to see, or we, we are already seeing, the application of certain texts in certain fields and they're almost finding their own niche. I'm, I'm really quite interested from, from that sort of perspective. You know, when you factor in everything like, you know, it might be technically possible, but from, from a commercial perspective, from a reliance perspective, from a management perspective, you know, people for certain reasons might stick with tape, people might, might move to flash. I mean, what's, what do you think is going on out there at the minute? Um, but there's quite a lot. It's interesting, David said, uh, in the next 30 minutes we'll talk about storage. Probably can need four or five or six hours <laughs> to get yeah. through this. He's back for part two. Yes. Yeah, yeah. maybe, if I'm invited back, yes. Um, storage, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that every single organisation needs. And, you know, we've seen the developments over the last years with things like aerial density of drives increasing phenomenally. Uh, and probably following Moore's law as well, you know, the way people have been looking at the, uh, the processor speeds increasing. Yeah. So now we're looking at these sort of very, very high-density drives, uh, people using those for long-term storage. So, you know, we're offering drives today at 10 terabytes in a 3.5-inch form factor. So <laughs> it, it's quite phenomenal when we get wow. those sort of capacities. You know, something you can Is just that hold raw as well? Hand. 
Sorry? Is that raw? Yeah, yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's phenomenal. It really, really is. So you look at the amount of capacity you can put into a rack. You know, you're looking at two, three, four petabytes in a rack, a single, you know, 42U, 19-inch rack. So it's absolutely amazing. Um, but people need to understand what types of storage are available and making sure they're, um, you know, using the right storage for the right data. Um, you know, when we're looking at very, very frequently high-access data, people have gone through spinning drives at sort of 10,000 RPM. Uh, there are 15K RPM drives available, you know, at 600 and 900 gigabytes. So we're going down to gig now. Um, <laughs> but they provide phenomenal speed. Um, but over the last few years, we've seen the introduction of solid-state drives come along. So solid-state drives now providing, you know, the fastest possible access to data stored on that uh, common form factor, shall we say. Um, so I think the vast majority of vendors are now moving over to solid-state storage, and we're now seeing that becoming the, the norm for you know, sort of databases and sort of frequently accessed data. Um, but there's a lot of issues around that. I mean, solid-state storage um, is expensive currently. Uh, the price is coming down, and I think that's kind of driven by the number of fab plants that are around the world able to produce the chips that are going into the solid-state drives. Yeah. Um, you know, if there are more fab plants, we'll probably see the price of the, uh, the chips come down, and the price of solid-state drives obviously drop you know, as quick as we would like it to. Um, the one example that uh, we always talk about is the comparison of um, cathode ray tube monitors, if you go back about 10, 12 years. <laughs> yeah, everybody had that. It was the norm, 17, yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 inch, 22 inch monitors. Uh, along came the good old flat panel, you know, an evolution of what we had on laptops. Uh, people suddenly realized the savings that could be achieved by the reduction in the power consumption and heat output. Uh, and it became uh, you know, like an expensive treat, I guess, to some of the execs. They started moving across to it, but then after that, we had that becoming the norm. So people now realizing you pay a little bit more for the technology, but you're getting all the associated benefits with that, with the, say, with the heat production and the, uh, uh, the size of the screens and the quality of the technology um, and all the power consumption issues as well. So uh, the same is happening in the solid-state drive marketplace. You know, we now we're seeing drives that are consuming very, very little electricity, but with very, very uh, high performance characteristics, and the density is increasing as well. So. Um, I think for a lot of the database access systems, we're now seeing solid state becoming the norm in systems. Um, but people also still have a lot of other uh, requirements for storing data. So mm. uh, as David alluded to, we mentioned ILM, you know, Information Lifecycle Management, which is all about you know, ensuring you have the, the right data and the right type of technology. So it's important, again, to be able to uh, appreciate the, uh, the value of data, the age of data, the frequency of access of data, and being able to automatically move data up and down between different storage tiers. So you can move between solid-state technology down to spinning drives, and then even down to uh, higher capacity drives. I mentioned like the 10 terabyte drives. Um, but even then, we can add tape into that as well, which you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. So we're getting the full gamut of storage right from solid state right the way down to tape. And uh, can I just book in there? Yeah. Is tape still something that people are buying? Absolutely. Yeah, but you've just dragged me in from the middle of preparing a quotation for a customer. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's just looking at a huge tape library. Um, it's only six drives, to be honest, but uh, 360 LTO7 cartridges. LTO7 cartridge at six terabytes and then LTO7 form factor. Um, you know, they're looking at that, again, for long-term archive storage. So, yeah, absolutely, so relevant in the marketplace. Mm. And if you look at the cost of storage, it's still the lowest cost of storage available, you know, moving data onto tape. Is it? Absolutely. Is that yeah. from, a, is that from a, a price per gigabyte or an ROI? 
sort of a, t- right or, price- a total, or a total cost of ownership, should I say? Because yeah, if you look at the, the raw price per gig. You know, that's the easiest way of doing it. You know, so you can take an SSD drive or some of the high 10 gig, 10 terabyte drives, and just divide it down by the costs. But uh, yeah, having a cartridge. Um, you know, the size of a good old VHS tape, if you remember those, uh, storing six terabytes of data. It's pretty fantastic. You know, and some of the developments some of the manufacturers are showing, they're even predicting to be able to get that up to 100 terabytes quite soon as well, if not more than that. So, yeah, there is still a future for tape. Unbelievable. What, what did you just say? 100 terabytes? Yes, uh, some of the manufacturers when IBM have done some demonstrations showing they can get 100 terabytes onto an enterprise-class cartridge. So That's it's insane. pretty unbelievable. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it just goes to show you, though, doesn't it? It's like, n- never mind what the latest and greatest is. You you really have to look at and understand, you know, the the requirements that you have and mm. and, and what what you're actually going to do with that data. You know, in what context do you need to store it? Never mind. I just want to keep it, or it's yeah. Um, I'm not going to let it go. Um, I, I've got to put it somewhere. Um, yeah, we spoke about when planning for the, this episode you know it's it's almost that question like with um you know look at putting storage utilizing storage up on the cloud yeah it it's feasible it's certainly secure um and there's probably going to be times when you want to do that but it's you know it's not always the right answer i think you know we've we've had this in podcasts in the past where we look at sort of you know, cloud and hybrid cloud and we think you know, people's just going to want to adopt it. You know, the you know, OPEX versus CAPEX, e- ease of access to the service, all this sort of stuff. But, you know, there's there's no one there's no one answer. There's no nope. one solution fit, fits all. And, and you know what? Just because, you know, the, the latest and greatest next-gen solid-state drive is out, yep. yeah, it, it might not be... Fit for the best fit, yeah. No. The best fit for the purpose. Yeah, if we look, at, if we look at things like uh, we we've, we've had some conversations, and I know we've certainly been speaking to partners around around areas like object storage. I'd be interested in, interesting. yeah, I'd be interested in your take on on object storage because it certainly seems to have been. Uh, we've seen uh, acquisitions like CleverSafe into IBM. I'd be really interested in your view on object storage and and, and what your thoughts are on on that. Um, yeah, it's an interesting kind of development, I guess, really. I mean, we're all familiar with block storage. That's been around, you know, since the first drive was created. Um, file storage as well. You know, people are now looking at file storage, like the um, the solutions that NetApp have available. You know, they've been in the market for many, many years. Mm. Uh, Steve, can I just stop you there? Can you just, for people who don't necessarily know what block and file is, can you just give us a... 30 seconds on what each one is, the differences, because I think it's really, really important, because I think there's still a lot of people that hear these terms and don't have a clue what they actually are. Um, yes, I had a discussion with our <laughs> illustrious manager, Mr. Jeffs, uh, a few months ago, um, <laughs> going through the same uh, question. Not that he's a technical <laughs> laggard, but <laughs> I'm not taking part in any comment there. <laughs> well, we'll see if he responds to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, block storage at the you know, the beginning, when the, the drives first came out, when the technology was invented, yeah, is just a way of laying data onto um, a platter covered in a magnetic medium. Um, you know, which some people just term as rust. It's kind of an oxide coating on an aluminium platter. 
Um, yeah, as it is, it's fantastic, but you've got to divide it up into something sensible so you have a beginning and an end, you have tracks, you have sectors and things like that. So the technology knows where to write the data, it knows where it's written the data, more importantly, so it knows how to recover it. Uh, but that data is written onto the surface of a disk in a, a block. You know, a block can be uh, a certain number of bytes, 512 bytes and whatever, you can dictate that from the, uh, the different drive formats and manufacturers. Um, but that's actually getting down to actually writing the raw data down onto the drive surfaces. Um, there's a lot of databases like IBM DB2 and Oracle and things like that where they don't actually need a formatting of a platter. They can write mm. raw data down onto the block level. Um, so you know, most of us probably don't come across that at all. Uh, we have laptops and PCs. Uh, and we're saving Excel spreadsheets and PowerPoint presentations, Word documents day in, day out. Uh, and we're saving files. And when we open up and have a look at our C drive or use uh, the Explorer, we can see the architecture of the file system uh, and the way we create folders and subdirectories and you know, we're creating yeah. files there. So we are seeing a file. Um, but when that file is actually written down to the disk inside the laptop or the PC, then it's actually written in blocks onto the surface of the, the disk drive itself. Um, so it, it is a very technical way of looking at it, but you know, the familiar way that we all know is the way that we save and um, open our, our office-based files. Mm. Yeah, and that's a file-based system. Um, in the early days, uh, some manufacturers looked at Microsoft with their uh, ability to store files on their operating system. Um, and there's a lot of other uh, features and functionality offered by Microsoft Server. So if you strip out everything that's not required for storing file, then you end up with a system that is very, very finely tuned and able to store files and retrieve files. That's kind of the way that NetApp developed from there. Um, so we're used to you know, the file side of it. So I don't know whether that explains it in any great detail. Yeah, that's perfect. So yeah, that's really useful. That. Yeah, but moving on from there, I mean, a, a file is something you can open, you can change, and you can write back onto your system. So, for example, we can start with a PowerPoint presentation. We can take one that's been previously created by somebody else, add some new foils to it, change the title on the first page, put some other information into their drawings, clip art, whatever you want to do. Uh, and then you save that back onto the drive. So it saves it over the original version. So you've only got one version of that file. Um, in the object storage space, objects is an object. You cannot change an object. So it's like having an MP3 or a JPEG. It is an image or it is a piece of music. So if you take the image and you change it or modify it or alter it in some way and then save it, it's then saved as a brand new object. So it's not overwriting the previous object on the system. So an object store is now becoming sort of more useful in the marketplace. So people are realizing that they can um, you know, develop object stores in the cloud. A lot of people providing that. Uh, IBM providing with their recent acquisition of Clever Safe about 18 yeah. months or so ago. Uh, so that's kind of developing now as well. So we've seen people now starting to move <coughs> towards object store uh, as a way of sort of long-term data um, archiving. Uh, we must look at object stores as being sort of cool and cold data. It's not specifically designed for OLTP work. Um, so again, a little bit of a differentiation there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're still going to see the use of solid state drives and spinning drives. Um, you know, less so on the spinning drives, more so on the solid state. Uh, you know, as we move forward, we're going to see that sort of uh, that tipping point happening very, very soon. Um, so yeah, we're still going to have that technology, but uh, yeah, object storage certainly has a place in the market now. Yeah. Good. Moving on, mm. you know we've seen we've seen the advent of you know, software defined seems like everything really <laughs> over the last few years. Yes. yes. Um, but but certainly something that again you know we see from a, a storage perspective is, is the the whole sort of 
for people like IBM a move towards software-defined storage. I'm quite interested in your views there on that. Is it is it a, a rebrand or a rehash of things that have you know existed for a long time? I mean, you know, you look at something like IBM's technology set in the in the storage software space, and there's there's been a bringing together of all the disparate products into into a family and into a suite with with Spectrum. Yeah, do we do you perceive that it's a marketing exercise, or do you perceive that there's there's real feature functionality benefits that can be, be garnered from software-defined storage? Um, well, it's a good question. I think a lot of the manufacturers in industry are now talking about software-defined, um, very much driven by the users. You know, we're hearing a lot about the sort of cloud and functionality of cloud and being able to spin up virtual machines in a matter of seconds these days. Uh, whether it's AWS or Azure or Mark, um, sorry, IBM Blue makes that they're all able to spin up systems very, very quickly. Uh, and that whole environment is a software-driven environment. You know, you're using a web interface to create new virtual machines, uh, spinning them up, you can have standard images ready to load into that, be it uh, an operating system image, or even be it application images like some of the uh, Mass360 solutions from IBM for sort of controlling uh, endpoints and mobile security and things like that. So a lot of the um, you know, software packages are now becoming a, a catalog, you know, just like an Argos catalog, basically. You can flick through a catalog and choose the software you want, uh, fire it up, and you go to operation in a matter of minutes. So that's all software-defined. You know, you're now talking to a web interface that's now controlling all the back-end technology. You don't need to know what's behind it. Hmm. You've absolutely no idea what's behind it, but you don't need to know what's behind it. It is spinning up a service for you, you're using the service, and you're getting value and functionality out of it. Uh, and that's what businesses are looking for these days. So, yeah, software-defined data center is a reality. It's here today. Uh, it's kind of bringing the cloud into on-prem solutions. So you can have uh, cloud-based solutions, but in, in an on-prem kind of guise. Um, and people are now looking at the way you can have software-defined compute, software-defined networking, software-defined storage, three mm -hmm. main elements to the software-defined data center. Software-defined compute has been around since IBM first developed the mainframe, yeah. uh, going back to uh, 64. Uh, the only reason I know that is the year I was born. One <laughs> <laughs> of those strange things when the mainframe first came out. Um, yeah, and that was a, a huge, great, big sort of monolithic solution uh, that they quickly realized could be carved up and time-sliced so you could run different applications on the system. Mm. Uh, a lot of it was payroll-based and things like that. So uh, people quickly realized I can take one system, divide it up, and run multiple applications on top of that at the same time. So software-defined compute came out from that, uh, and obviously with people like VMware and Microsoft developing solutions on top and bringing it into the x86 marketplace and bringing it into a very, very simple, low-cost, consumable model. Software-defined networking is now mm. starting to become more norm. Um, Cisco obviously doing very, very well in the networking marketplace, but now you know, realizing that they need to start to move towards yeah. a software-defined uh, networking model, and they are doing so. So a quick question for you then, Steve. Software-defined software -defined as, as a whole, I think, was one of the topics that we spoke about at the end of last year being a little bit disappointing in its take-up in 2016. But I think 2017 it will come. But one of the places I did see a lot of talk and a lot of action was in the software-defined storage space, specifically. I think that that was really a, a standout software-defined growth area for the for the industry last year. But what would you, you know, do you see the software-defined storage world being the death of the sand fabric and, and, the, and the sort of 
the 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 what we would call more the um, the legacy storage ar array world. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And it's interesting again when we start and talk about you know cloud service providers and you know the Amazons and the Azures of this world. Um, you're paying for a service, you're firing up a service, and you're using it and creating business value from that. And that's exactly what the software-defined storage world's all about. Um, you, know, you don't need to know what's underneath it. You don't need to know what's in the background. You don't need to know how it's configured. Um, yeah, I think very, very few people know what's behind software. Yeah, and again, they don't advertise it. It's yeah. not published, and you need to do a lot of work on the internet to find out who's behind that, uh, because you don't need to know. You know, Software-defined storage is there for you to take advantage of and consume as you need to. Um, you know, there's relevant cost of storage. I mean, I think they're talking about three cents a gig a month now in terms of storing data, uh, which is very, very low cost. You, know, you compare that to putting the same amount of storage into a data center, um, it's probably comparable, but then from a data center point of view, you've also got to build the environment, you've got to cool it, you've got to heat it, you've got to monitor it, you've got to manage it. Uh, and all the other bits and pieces that go with it, plus providing all the UPSs and uh, backup generators should the, you know, the power fail or the grid fail or whatever. So there's lots of other services that people have to wrap behind it. So a simple software-defined storage consumable model does have a lot of value in the world. So, I mean, but coming back to if I've got... So if I am a Greenfield organisation or, or an organisation that has a legacy SAN, so SAN being essentially the network that connects the servers to the storage and obviously the array being the actual physical storage nodes themselves. Obviously, that was the way to do it. But now, if I am a, an end customer and I'm looking, I'm saying to myself, or a partner looking to advise, would I be going down the software-defined storage route first, or would I be going down the physical, essentially replace what I've already got with faster, you know, more density? What, what route would you, would you take? I mean, you're more than welcome, by the way, to say horses for courses, as long as you can explain <laughs> what horses for what courses. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously we still sell both technologies. <laughs> yes. No, but I mean, I'll be, be fascinated to know your opinion. Uh, well, I'll give you my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's based on two approaches to it. I think the yeah. one approach is the new organizations that are born in the cloud and they, they know no better. Uh, they will consume uh, processing power, they will consume storage. And it's very simple to connect A to B, it's just a mouse click. Mm. Um, in the traditional world, where many organizations have large data centers, they may be looking at more efficient ways of managing that. Uh, and they like the cloud model, they've seen what's been delivered through the, the cloud service providers, so they're trying to adopt a cloud similar model with an on-prem uh, offering. So using their current technology within their data centers, but being able to d deliver that through a software-defined model. Mm -hmm. Without having to rip and replace completely and start uh, from absolutely, scratch. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and it's all down to providing um, speed of service and quality of service. Mm. You, you know, the, the data center is, is a service to the business. If the business is you know, fully understand, uh, understanding of the competitive nature of their business in the marketplace, yeah. uh, and they constantly have to develop new applications <coughs> to remain ahead of their competitors, uh, and it's about delivering that um, new application, that new functionality as quickly as humanly possible to the end users. To so it's about I. a bit of business agility then? Uh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, so if you can... Oh, sorry. sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, if, you know, if the software-defined is a way to implement a cloud-like infrastructure on existing technology. Yeah. Um. That's fascinating, and I'm, and I'm just mindful of time, and I have one last question that I'm, I really want to I've got one as well, so you have, have yours you? first. <laughs> oh, it's always the case. Oh, yeah, that's fine. At least you let me go first. Yeah. Um, so you talk, about, so you talk about services there, and that almost like that, that service approach to, to dealing with, with, uh, with storage, but one of the things 
I think I've seen, and, I, and this is where, again, I'm interested in your opinion, is we're starting to see with, and I know you've worked in in opportunities and with vendors in, 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 in precisely this place, we're starting to see a level of, of service and tools being applied to storage that, I don't know if it's not my background side, so I'm not going to say we've not seen it before, but it certainly seems to be a trend that's on the rise. And this is this is an employment of... When I say analytics, I don't mean analytics from a point of view of what we talk about with yeah, <laughs> dashboarding, um, analytics of the actual data itself, but analytics from a point of view of storage, usage, consumption, um, not operational analytics specifically, but things like data assessments or looking for trends as to who's using what and where, but then also a level of, of, of insight and analytics around how the storage is being employed. And I know we've had a few conversations over the over the last 12 months or so around this, you know, products like I, IBM Storage Insights, Veritas uh, Data Insights as well. Is Are you... Are you convinced? Do you see that, that this is a way for, for for businesses to leverage new services to, to better utilise and understand what they've got at the minute so that they can make better judgments on, on how they evolve and, and 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 put more thought into their their storage planning or or are there gimmicks? Um, they're certainly not gimmicks. Um, I guess what we're talking about here is when you're saying analytics, we're not looking at the analytics, analyzing data, it's looking at the analytics of storage consumption. Yes. So, you know, what we're looking at here, we've mentioned about being able to store your PowerPoints and your Excels and things like that. I mean, that's just the, the file user side of it. Um, when a number of people in an organization are working on a project, for example, there may be a lot of documents and spreadsheets and presentations and management reports created mm -hmm. associated with that project. If the project comes to fulfillment and d is delivered in the marketplace and starts to deliver business value, then the value of the data associated with the creation of the project and the thought process that went into that, as the weeks go by, um, reduces in value. Mm -hmm. So at some point you get to a point where you can really move that off your primary storage and archive it, um, but still maintain access to it should it be required later on. So it's down to being able to analyze the data that you have, looking at the frequency of access, uh, making sure the data's on the right tier of storage, as we mentioned uh, at the top of the call. But, uh, yeah, there's very, very uh, well, a high number of tools available in the marketplace to be able to analyze data, uh, make a selection of the data. Yeah, if you've got files sitting on your system that haven't been accessed in a year, why are they still sitting on your most expensive storage? Yeah, you shouldn't yeah. have them there. You should move them down onto another lower tier of storage. Yeah, hence, we were talking about those uh, sort of 10 terabyte drives. That's exactly the kind of low-cost storage environment that can take those projects and uh, least frequently access <coughs> files and move them down onto that storage. But yeah, then again, you can move them down onto tape after that as well, if you wish. Mm. So uh, it's making sure that you get the economics, I suppose, of the storage that organizations have invested in, and you're making sure that that's available for the, 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 the new projects as they come along. But move the old data out. You don't need it. You know, put it onto a low tier of storage. Mm. So as if that wasn't the perfect segue into my question. So one of the biggest topics that I see in storage at the moment is hybrid storage, or specifically on-premise going to off-premise storage platforms, be they S3 being probably the most um, yeah. famous of all of them, so uh, Amazon's S3 or Azure or Softlayer or wherever. 
what is the, you know, so we've spoken about tape as a, as a long-term retention platform. Do you see cloud as a long-term retention platform? And what is the future of the hybrid storage game, cloud storage? What is the, how's that going to affect people's <laughs> purchases of even the software-defined or any on-prem storage? You know, is there, is there going to be a day when we just don't really need it and we just have some sort of appliance that, that caches local data and a bit of memory and then uses the back end, uses cloud storage essentially as everything else? Or I'm glad he asked you and not me. <laughs> well, again, it's a very, very interesting, you know, because uh, if you look at a storing, uh, storing storage, storing data on cloud service providers like you know, Azure or AWS, mm. um, you're paying a certain amount per gig per month for storing the data on there. Now, if you go into the T's and C's of the, the various cloud service providers, their service level agreements are probably either non-existent or very, very loose, should we say. Mm. So you're potentially storing a lot of data on there uh, that has the potential of being removed, deleted, you know, accidentally crashed or whatever. So it's important to look at the service level agreements of the cloud service providers. So there are a lot of organizations now providing backup as a service, which is great. A lot of the solutions very reliable. Um, yeah, but should that back-end storage disappear, people are now putting, putting in backup systems in the cloud, backing up cloud-based storage. So it just starts to sort of become cyclical, I guess, and start to eat your own dog food at the end of the day. So you've got to make sure you, you have the right system in place with the right service level agreement and you put in the right data in the right place. Mm. So if you're putting it into the cloud, yep, great idea, because a lot of people are doing backups now. You're backing up to local disks, so you have very fast access to the local disk if you need to recover data. Um, and then after that, you can move it out to cloud storage. Yeah, so yeah, people looking at cloud storage now as additions to a lot of the IBM solutions, a lot of the Veritas solutions that we have. Uh, you can have your secondary or tertiary storage now being cloud-based. Mm. Um, but it's important to understand that if it is out in the cloud, that you have an SLA associated with that, and you know that you're going to be able to recover it. Yeah. Mm. But if you're putting it onto tape, onto cartridge, you've got a certain amount of longevity there associated with that. And the, the tape-based uh, solutions are able to you know, cycle cartridges and constantly make sure that the data into a cartridge can be read and can be recovered. So, yeah, it's kind of six one half to the other. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that is pretty much all we've got time for. We've flown through half an hour. Yeah. So uh, I'm, get, I'm getting the nod from Hannah. <laughs> I thought we had. <laughs> we used like to be told to shut up, aren't we? Let's like be fair. It felt like about two minutes. <laughs> Um, did but actually, no, yeah. Steve, thank you so much for coming in today. It's really, really appreciated. Absolutely. It's great to have an expert on who really, really gets the industry and understands all these sort of uh, topics because um, it's something that certainly has come up, especially in the cloud area yeah. and the software-defined area. So thank you for answering our questions. That's brilliant. And uh, other than that, thank you very much, Richard, as, as always. Yeah, thank you. I mean, one thing I would say is, uh, you know, I know some of the work Steve's done in, in the recent past, so if anybody's got any sort of questions Absolutely, around yeah. storage from a, a hybrid or a cloud perspective, yeah. definitely. You know, Give us a shout. I know a man who can. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Fantastic. No problem at all, thank you. Thank and you, Mr. Fern. No, you're more than welcome. And uh, thank you very much, Hannah, for being our producer once again. And uh, on that, we will uh, finish for the day. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. See you all later. Cheers, Thanks, bye. bye.